welcome to another episode of the Double Comma Club with your host, Nicole Ruth of the Ruth Team, the number one lending team in Colorado. So we have a very special event that I want to invite you to with three people that have become dear to me. And I want to share them because the power of investing in real estate can change the entire trajectory of your life. And the first person that I want to invite is Jay Clark, or that I want to introduce you to, who has been my personal financial advisor for years. You have become extremely dear to me. You take care of myself and my family uh, and provided an avenue or view into my retirement planning, including real estate. And many financial planners can't do that, or at least yeah. they don't know how to marry the two. It's two very different roads that one would travel between financial advising and real estate. I think they tend to look, many advisors will tend to look at things that they can get paid on. <laughs> They'll look at, yeah. at uh, assets that they can control that uh, are under their uh, um, uh, field of vision. Uh, I tend to take a broader look at the whole client and real estate to me is a incredibly powerful asset, uh, when, especially when run properly and when run with parallel assets that provide a lot of liquidity so people have a lot of control in their real estate transactions and in their real estate portfolio. So this event in October, the third Thursday, meet and greet starts at 10 and the event's gonna start at 10.30. And we're gonna have three panelists and myself talking about how to integrate everything that you would need to know and questions that you might have around the financial planner aspect, the legal aspect, and then the property management and investing aspect. And having a financial planner that understands, especially one that is, is known, liked, and trust as much as you, uh, to guide us on how do you marry those two paths so that they're not tripping on each other, but speaking with one another towards the end goal. Um, I'm really excited to have you join us. Sounds awesome. Yeah. So, um, and when Jake, every once in a while, he goes, you might be over leveraged in real estate. <laughs> And that's kind of the guy. Mm -hmm. Okay, next. So, but he's had this amazing opportunity, ability to take what we have, what we've given him, assimilate the stock market, the bond market, and real estate, and not only help us accumulate, but then help us exit, right? Because eventually we're going to want to get out, right? Eventually we're going to want to retire. We're going to want to spend some of the money that we've saved up. We're going to need an exit strategy. And he's been able to give that to us that a lot of financial planners have not. So that's why I advocate, I give his name out all the time. Um, so I'm gonna invite Jay Clark up to give his presentation. Each one of our experts will give about 15 minutes and then we'll have a quick panel Q&A. So if you guys have questions, do save them up. We are gonna have a Q&A at the end. All right. So talk about crazy, right? Last two years, everybody agrees, right? I go to load up my kids in the car yesterday morning, take them to school, and it sounds like, I don't know, it sounds like I was in a whole field full of Harley Davidsons revving their engine. Like everything just started thundering so loud. So turn off the car. We all agree that maybe we shouldn't take that car. So we hop out, we take the other car, take the kids to school, drive the car thundering to the dealership, and I pull up, everyone's laughing at the dealership, and they say, Someone stole your catalytic converter. Is that a thing? She's like, yeah, Google it. It's a thing. 
It's happening. And in your neighborhood, like it's really happening. And with your, with your car model, it's really, really happening. So catalytic converters, like that to me is up there with like aliens stole my kidney. You know, <laughs> are you kidding me? And I think that they, I got the estimate from the dealer. I think that the catalytic converter is actually worth more than the actual car. So <laughs> this is just wild. You can't make this stuff up. I, I was laughing all day yesterday. My wife was a little bit grumpy about it. But honestly, after everything we've all been through the last two years, like, what are you going to do? You just got, got to start laughing with this stuff. So there was a study done last year by this uh, research group that does really weird studies. And they, they asked the big question of how many Britons think that they could actually beat different animals in a fight? Turns out that 45% of Britons think that they could beat a goose in a fight. Do you guys know that? <laughs> um, they, they checked out other things, you know, 67% they think they could eat, uh, beat a rat in an unarmed fight. 5% um, think that they could beat a, a kangaroo. And uh, only 2% of Britons actually think they could beat a grizzly bear, okay? This is very relevant to what we're talking about here today, okay? We're going to bring it all back to real estate in a minute or two or seven or whatever. Maybe by minute 14 we'll get there. But, um, you know, they, they expanded the study and they started to, to dice out their data. And what they found was that... British men are far more confident than British women when it comes to their, their, uh, uh, how much they think that they can, their ability to beat up a goose in a fight, right? Um, now, they actually crossed the pond for this too, and they asked the same question about Americans. Guess where Americans land on this whole scale? Oh yeah, Americans, we totally got this. Not only do we think we could beat geese, we think we could beat everything, everywhere, all the time. In fact, grizzly bears. 6% of Americans think they could beat a grizzly bear in a fight. <laughs> Isn't that something? All right. So uh, what, what it, how is this all relevant here? It's really a study in what we call overconfidence, okay? Overconfidence. Now, we all in this room should have a good sense of what overconfidence looks like. How many were in the business back in 2006? 2007? Yeah, we've got some people here that survived that whole era there. That was a crazy time. And our brains, we have to first get through... Get this thought planted right here. Our brains are not our best friends. Like that's, that's just how this whole thing works. In fact, behavioral economists have figured out that we have over 120 different cognitive biases. We are completely defective when it comes to making our own decisions for our own stuff. We can't do it. You think you can? Sorry, guys, you can't. I can't do it. That's why I'm married. She's wonderful. She helps balance me out. Okay, we can't do this stuff. So I want to kind of bring it back to 2007, actually to 2006, to a friend of mine. I'm just going to call him Dan. And uh, Dan and I started in the business back in 1999 out in Newport Beach, California. We were both internal wholesalers on the sales desk of the Endeavor Group with this beautiful office overlooking the cliffs at uh, um, uh, uh, Big Corona there. It was gorgeous. We were, you know, 27-year-old kids and just uh, back in 99 and just just goofing off and having a great time. It was my first time in the financial services industry. Fast forward a few years, I'd moved out to Denver to run Transamerica's internal sales operation. And Dan uh, had uh, actually taken on an external sales position. He was making over 300 a year, he was crushing it. And Dan at 20, I'm sorry, at 32 years old, had a $3.2 million net worth. Okay, 3.2, what was he doing? He was, anyone, anyone want to guess at this one? Reynolds, yep, someone said Reynolds, here we go. 
Yeah, he had $5.2 million of rental properties. He did. And they're all, you know, I don't think he had any uh, uh, single family. It was all multi. And he also had on top of that $2 million of loans. And you know what he had in his checking account? You're close, 10 grand. I begged him. I begged him. Begged him. Keep more than that in his checking account. You guys know where this story goes. Everybody in this room knows where this story goes. We've all heard the horror stories. We all know people that went through this. His rationale to me was, it doesn't matter. I've got all these home equity lines of credit, and I can open up as many as I want whenever I want. I said, they're all callable. They're all collapsible. Those are not bank accounts. You've got to have a non-correlated asset on your balance sheet the bank can't take from you. That is tied to the asset. They can take that from you. Nope, I can keep doing it. It's not a problem. One vacancy turned into five, turned into 10, and in six months he was in bankruptcy court. By 2007, before the Great Recession happened, guess what? You know, he was uh, tip of the iceberg. He was the reason that Bear Stearns went bankrupt. You guys may know, the, uh, know that Bear Stearns was the canary in the coal mine. They were the first sacrificial lamb for the whole thing that went down there. Well, Dan was, Dan was the reason. And Bear Stearns, like, they couldn't carry the full brunt of it. And by, two, by October, September, actually September uh, 2008, you know, the rest of the wheels fell off the wagon. I remember waking up on a Monday morning and seeing the headline, I think it was September 16, 2008, that Merrill Lynch had uh, just gone bankrupt. And by the way, Lehman Brothers had too. Largest bond broker in America. Like you can't do business in the bond market without touching Lehman Brothers. It was insane. Wednesday, September 18th, 2008. They said we were within an hour and a half of total global economic collapse because the prime reserve fund, this money market fund that was stocked full of US government securities was now valued less than a dollar. It's packed full of US dollars, and it's now worth less than a dollar. We're saying basically that the safest currency in the world, the gold standard of financial security, is not even worth the paper it's printed on. That panic set off a 30-day drop in the market that was like, I think it was over 40%. It was scary as hell. Hopefully, hopefully you guys remember it. There's lessons there in that whole period of time. And I think one of the lessons that I want to draw from that is that sometimes we got to slow down in order to speed up. Okay? Like, this is really an important thing. Like, what was Dan's problem? Everybody knows it. Let's just say it. He didn't have what on his balance sheet? Cash. Who were the people that crushed it in 2008, 2009? The people that had what? Real estate? No, not the people that had real estate. They were trying to go back to the banks and seeing if they could, uh, seeing if they could short sell it, right? They were getting foreclosed on. They were having vacancies. It was endless newsreels of, of Henderson, Nevada, right? Street after street after street. Empty, 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 empty. You guys remember all this? Okay. The people that crushed it in 2008 had something that wasn't real estate on their balance sheet. It was called cash. It was powerful for them. So we have to take this concept of what, how do we slow down in order to speed up? Well, we have to intentionally make our portfolios defective. That is the process of slowing down to speed up. So to give you guys an example of this, I want to take you guys into my neighborhood. I live in Park Hill. Uh, it's 
I live a half block away from a little corner ice cream shop. And uh, in the summertime, they're open. Right now, I think that they're, they're, they've got a sign up saying they're gonna, be, they're gonna be closing their doors in the next few weeks. Why? Because in the wintertime, they just can't sell ice cream. That's just how it is. They can't do it. And if they wanted to keep their doors open, would the answer be have more flavors of ice cream? That's not really the answer, is it? Like that's not, that, that might help them in the summer, you know, maybe even sell some more, but definitely not in the winter because you have this high correlation between temperature and ice cream sales. You wanna keep your doors open in the winter, do something non-correlated. Big fat fancy word there, meaning doesn't have anything to do with it. So what would that be? How about like cocoa, right? Cocoa might work. Cocoa could be non-correlated. If they sold really great cocoa or soup or, or paninis or something like that, they could probably keep their doors open in the wintertime. Um, and by having different asset classes that are non-correlated to each other, different things on your balance sheet that have no knowledge of each other, you actually can create a better portfolio for yourself. It's, it is a mentally almost impossible process because of those cognitive biases we have. It means that you have to actually have stuff in your portfolio that doesn't make sense with the rest of your portfolio. Like if you really want to rock in real estate, own more real estate. Like that's what's performing for you, then hang on to it. What does cash perform at? Last time I checked it, I think it was zero, right? Is that what it is? Cash is zero? Something around there. Has it ever been more than zero? Not really, like it's always been zero. But zero matters. Zero is like a first rate of return. It's a powerful rate of return. Zero is incredibly powerful for you. Let's just take this into, into consideration here. S&P 500, I know you guys, we're not gonna talk about stocks a lot today, I get it. You guys are here for real estate, okay? But this is my world. So you guys, this, she gave me the time, I'm gonna talk about it. So <laughs> S&P 500 has a historic rate of return of 10% and a very high what's called standard deviation, which is a mathematical measurement of risk, 18%. That is insane high, very, very high. And you take a look at the bond market, which Nicole talked about, about the importance of the bond market, the value of the bond market. Guess what the bond market has? Well, it has a standard deviation of eight and historical return of around six. What happens if you put those two things together? You pack them in together and your portfolio actually, wow, you start to strip out the standard deviation of that portfolio. You drop the risk or the swinginess of that portfolio almost in half without hardly impacting your long-term rate of return. So counterintuitive to do that. In fact, you start owning more things that don't have any knowledge of what it is you're doing in your core game plan there. Let's just say, let's add in some international stocks and bonds as well. And guess what? We could start to rebuild that rate of return without hardly impacting the total risk of the portfolio, the mathematical risk of the portfolio. So when you really build it out and you start owning the whole haystack rather than trying to find the needle in the haystack, then the whole game starts to work even better. So, we're, uh, one of the upshots of COVID was we, we actually, there's a lot of upshots for us as a family. Like our, my business was really good. Uh, people actually wanted to talk to me because they were really worried about stuff. Uh, that was fun. Uh, normally I'm kind of like the dentist, you know? Nobody wants to deal with, like, it's, not, it's not fun to deal with someone like me because I'm, I'm a professional pessimist, right? That's what I, I'm here to, like you say, you know, my portfolio is doing great. I'm saying, why don't you try looking at something else, right? Or, you know, uh, you say, well, I want to put it all over here. And I'm saying, well, why don't you diversify? And you're saying, I want to take lots of risk. And I'm saying, buy insurance, you know? Like, it's just, 
I'm not a fun guy to talk to, so <laughs> I'm gonna try to keep it fun up here. So, uh, but yeah, my business was really, like it was really good last year. It was like, people all started to start to wake up and realize, wow, this is kind of fragile, this whole thing that we're all involved in here. Maybe we need to kind of get our house in order. And my phone started ringing off the hook. Well, actually it was my Zoom, my Zoom thing started. Now it's all Zoom, right? Don't, that's so, when the Prius like went down, I didn't even miss a beat because they're like, what do we need that for? <laughs> like, we're not going anywhere. So we got the one car, we go to Safeway, who cares? So what? All right, so another upshot of COVID was um, family time. We started spending a crazy amount of time together as a family. And um, we started to actually enjoy like really like investing in our evenings with each other. Like after dinner, that's like our time to be with our kids and our kids to be with us. And we really kind of want it now. They want to spend time with us. It's wild. And so we watched the other night, we watched the movie Sully. You guys ever seen the movie Sully about Sully Sullenberger, Miracle on the Hudson, lands the plane in the, in the Hudson River, you know, because of the bird, you know, 87 seconds up there that his life gets judged by. Powerful movie, Tom Hanks, awesome stuff. And in there he's being, there's a scene where he's getting uh, some great advice from his dad who's teaching him how to fly the crop duster as a kid. And his dad tells him, don't forget to fly the plane. Like you got a job to do. So let's talk about, your, about where your real rate of return comes from in your world. And I'm gonna tell you, it's probably not in your real estate portfolio. And it's probably not in anything I sell you either. Okay? Hint, it's you. I'm gonna prove it. So take a household income of $200,000. And I don't know if that's low or high for you, but maybe that's a good household income for a good, good young couple that you guys might wanna work with out there. They're earning $200,000. Over there, that couple's lifetime, that $200,000 is going to result in over $12.5 million of money just walking through their front door at 0% rate of return. That is just the value of all the paychecks they cash. That is the $200,000 and little raises along the way walking into their life, okay? Everybody good on what we got so far? Good? Everybody good? Okay. There's something incredulous about this number because we look at it and we say, yeah, but. Well, and here's the yeah, but, is, is that we don't get to keep it, right? It goes everywhere else. And right now it goes to Amazon, doesn't it, right? It's, it's like 16 times a day my doorbell rings and it's Amazon dropping off something else. It's awesome, love it. Okay, and if, we're, if we don't have a game plan around it, most Americans are saving around 5% of their income and that is the statistic regardless of age, gender, uh, ethnicity, demographic, it's right around 5%. Goes up or down by a little bit in different categories there, but Americans save 5% of their income, and that means that they're gonna end up with 662,000 of that um, $12.5 million. Yay, this is working out so well. At some point they realize this doesn't work out so well. So then what do they do? They go call me, they go, they go buy some rental properties, I'm gonna build my portfolio with something, you know, a robot, I'm gonna get some Ethereum, some Bitcoin, something. They start saying 0% rate of return doesn't work, I need better. So they go out and they start chasing that. Let's give them 5% year in, year out, after taxes, after fees, that's a million and a half dollars on their balance sheet, the 662 grows too. Does that fix anything? Not really, it kind of looks the same, right? Like that big red area there, it's the same. Because they're still transferring the same amount of money to everybody else there's still $12 million leaving their balance sheet over their working years. 
So then they say, let's get really crazy with it. Let's go into some high risk stuff. Maybe it's high risk in your world. Maybe it's high risk in my world. I don't care. It still doesn't fix the problem. Two, two and a half million dollars does not solve the problem. What's the problem? They're not saving. 5% won't cut it and, and rate of return will not cut it. Everything we're doing here, sorry guys, bad news. Uh, it, it doesn't really actually fix the problem. The real horsepower has always been and will always be, guess what? It's you. You start saving, you start putting aside your money, your clients start putting aside their money, they start saving their money. And I'm talking like 20% here. $5.6 million, is that more? That's at 5% rate of return, not even eight. Is that more than two and a half? I think in most states it is, right? Okay, it should be. Um, I think that's how that works out there. So you are always your own greatest asset. Your ability to go out and do what you do every day. So that's what I mean when I say don't forget to fly the plane. Your day job, what you're doing to produce income for yourselves is really your biggest, your greatest resource for being able to put money on your balance sheet. Do I think you should be trying to get a rate of return on it using real estate, using the stuff that I sell? Absolutely. Big fan. Nicole will verify that. Big, big, big fan of it. And I'm a big fan of you playing your game, keeping your hand on the wheel, and saving your own money. So to sum all of this stuff up, because I know I'm probably running into my time here, I just want to remind you guys of some very wise words I once heard. They go like this. God is great. Okay, I think that relates to the first point of overconfidence. We need to realize that there are things greater than us outside of us. Right? God is great. Beer is good, right? Like you, got, like you got to clock out too, right? And what comes next? That's right, guys. People are crazy. We learned that one as well. People are crazy. So with that, uh, I want to give you guys uh, two things here. First one is that uh, if you want to see if you are in financial balance, um, uh, hold up your phones. This is the time to do it. You can actually like just hold up your camera there. That'll take you to an online evaluation tool that you can do a self-diagnosis on your own finances to uh, uh, just see how you're doing from a financial health perspective. If you really want to get some opinion on it, you can actually push a button on there and have it forwarded to me. Otherwise, I never see it. So it's up to you if you want to do that. This is your chance to do that. Are we all good on that? We've got two more seconds. I still see some phones uh, flashing up there. And then uh, if you guys want my contact information, I'll put that up here in a second as well. Here you go. Uh, and that, that's a link to our website as well. That QR code will take you there too. With that, I'm done. I had fun. Do you guys have fun? All right. You've been listening to the Double Comma Club. Never miss an episode. Subscribe at thedoublecommaclub.com or your favorite podcast venue to hear more success stories, get free tips on how you can get on the path to becoming a millionaire through real estate at any age. If you enjoyed this, you might also enjoy our YouTube channel. Just look for The Roof Team on YouTube or visit our site, therooftheam.com.